I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement. All right. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome. Welcome to the show that delves into the depths of the unknown. Cryptique, of course. I'm joined, as always, by a man who knows nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. Ryan, what's up? That is absolutely true. I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement. As long as you act like things are supposed to be happening, it's fine. Yeah, it's true. It's probably one of the most interesting things I've learned in my life. All right, tell them what they need to know. If you guys want to help us fight our algorithmic overlords, you can do that by interacting with the podcast on your platform of choice. It'll help it know that maybe this is worth showing to somebody else. But the best way, of course, is to share it with somebody who you think will like it. If you want to tell us what you want to hear next, or if you have your own comments about our topic today, which I'm not going to spoil just yet, you can let us know at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. You can buy our merch at crypticpodcaststore.com, and you can help us keep the servers on with Buy Us a Coffee, which is a service, not just weird grammar for me. <laughs> and, you know, all the uh, socials will be in the notes. So. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about tonight? We are making a departure from our usual subject matter to bring you something purely in the realm of fiction. But remember, art often imitates life. So, the perfect villain, which we alluded to already, the Joker. A DC comic supervillain first appeared in Batman number one in 1940, which it's probably important to note is not the first appearance of Batman. Uh, Created by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson, the character's origin is disputed, both in real life and in fiction. Initially intended to be killed off, editorial intervention spared him, solidifying his role as Batman's archenemy. The Joker evolved from a psychotic criminal to a comical prankster in the 1950s, but returned to darker roots in the 70s. His notable acts include the murder of Jason Todd, the second Robin, spoilers for probably a 30-year-old book at this point, and the paralysis of Barbara Gordon, or Batgirl, who later becomes Oracle, largely because of this event. With no superhuman abilities, the Joker relies on chemical expertise for lethal concoctions and unique weaponry, which probably a lot of you would remember from... The 1989 movie, they gave the Joker a different origin story, but a background in chemistry. He has had various origin stories, with the most common involving a chemical accident that leaves him disfigured. The character's complexity and opposition to Batman make him a compelling adversary. An opposition to Batman in terms of style, aesthetics, everything. Batman is dark, brooding, quiet. The Joker is loud both in appearance and behavior and everything else the joker's relationships with other villains often collapse due to his chaotic nature he's not particularly good at uh forming lasting alliances or trusting relationships with anyone 
introduced in the 1990s, for example, in the Batman animated series, Harley Quinn became his criminal sidekick and girlfriend before eventually being broken away into her own series and kind of removed from the Joker going forward. The Joker has also confronted heroes beyond Batman, including Superman and Wonder Woman. Considered one of the greatest comic book villains, the Joker has transcended comics, appearing in various media, including live-action films with portrayals by actors like Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto, and Joaquin Phoenix. The character has become an iconic figure in pop culture overall. The Joker's creation, as said before, is attributed to Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson, but their accounts differ. Finger, Kane, and Robinson acknowledge Finger showing an image of Conrad Veidt as Gwynplaine from The Man Who Laughs as inspiration for the Joker's appearance. This is a, a silent film. I can't remember what year it's from. Robinson produced a sketch of a Joker playing card in 1940, claiming it as the character's concept. Kane hired Robinson in 1939, and Robinson, in a 1975 interview, expressed a desire for an enduring, exotic arch-villain for Batman. Robinson, intrigued by contradictions in villains, envisioned a diabolically sinister yet clownish character with a memorable impact. The Joker's name and card design came first, inspired by a playing card from Robinson's deck. Finger contributed the idea of a ghastly permanent grin based on Veidt's image. Kane countered that Robinson's sketch followed Finger showing the Gwynplaine image. In a 1994 interview, Kane stated that Finger and he created the Joker, while Robinson brought a playing card for inspiration. Robinson credited himself, Finger, and Kane for Joker's creation. I hope you guys are following this. <laughs> He said he cre- a lot of fingering <laughs> going on. <laughs> he said he created the character as Batman's larger-than-life nemesis when extra stories were quickly needed for Batman number one, and he received credit for the story in a college course. In that first meeting, when I showed them the sketch of the Joker, and this is I'm quoting here, Bill said it reminded him of Comrade Veidt in The Man Who Laughs. That was the first mention of it. He can be credited, and Bob himself. We all played a role in it. The concept was mine. Bill finished that first script from my outline of the persona and what should happen in the first story. He wrote the script of that, so he really was co-creator, and Bob and I did the visuals, so Bob was also. Finger provided his own account in 1966. I got a call from Bob Kane. He had a new villain. When I arrived, he was holding a playing card. Apparently, Jerry Robinson or Bob, I don't recall who, looked at the card and they had an idea for a character, the Joker. Bob made a rough sketch of it. At first, it didn't look much like the Joker. It looked more like a clown. But I remembered that Grosset and Dunlap formally issued very cheap editions of classics by Alexander Dumas and Victor Hugo. The volume I had was The Man Who Laughs. His face had been permanently operated on so that he always had this perpetual grin and it looked absolutely weird. I cut the picture out of the book and gave it to Bob, who drew the profile and gave it a more sinister aspect. Then he worked on the face, made him look a little clown-like, which accounted for his white face, red lips, and green hair. And that was the Joker. Despite Kane's refusal to share credit, many comic historians attribute the Joker's creation to Jerry Robinson and credit Bill Finger with the character's development. The unresolved nature of the story persisted until 2011 when Finger, Kane, and Robinson had all passed away. 
And it's probably worth noting here that for a long time, Batman was only credited to Bob Kane. Mm-hmm. Bill Finger was not acknowledged until way, way later. So I think, yeah, I think this is probably a fairly common thing in comic books to not yeah. properly credit people. So we've got Robinson saying yeah. that it was essentially his idea to create this character and Bill Finger saying, oh, I mean, he came in and showed us a Joker card and was like, maybe we can make a character out of this. I, I think yeah. it, it seems likely to me that Robinson is telling the truth, given that he's trying to it's... share credit with all the other two. Where yeah. his finger is trying to kind of cut him out. Yeah, and I think this kind of uh, this is not something that you have to remember to be into the rest of this podcast. This is just something that you know we thought was important because it also goes to the Joker's kind of muddied past, right? Like we don't even know for sure who came up with him. So it it adds to his mystique a little bit, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, a character so mysterious that you don't know his origin in the book or in real life. For show. All right, so let's talk about the Golden Age. The Joker made his debut, and Batman number one is the first villain for the eponymous character, a year after Batman's introduction in Detective Comics number 27, as I'm sure you know. Initially portrayed as a serial killer and jewel thief with a mirthless grin, he used Joker Venom to grotesquely smile his victims' faces. And yeah, that's just kind of an artistic way of saying that he put them with a gruesome permagrin Mm -hmm. on their face and drove them crazy. Intended to be killed in Batman 1, Finger's plan was overruled, establishing the Joker as Batman's archenemy. Despite Kane's initial contributions, artist Dick Sprang took over due to Kane's limited time. The character evolved into a wacky prankster with the 1942 story, The Joker Walks the Last Mile, marking a turning point. The cover of Detective Comics number 69 in 1942, known as Double Guns, is considered iconic for featuring the Joker with traditional guns, a departure from other villains. This period of transformation into a goofier incarnation lasted for about 30 years, with the creative team aiming for the Joker to be more resourceful than other gun-wielding adversaries. And this kind of reminds me of Megatron, right? Like, uh, they don't, in the comics, it was like, oh, he had a laser-shooting trident or Mm. a, you know, a mental power, and, and, and then they're just like... No, he's just psychotic and murders people with guns. And, right. You know, that's kind of like Megatron where they're like, no, he's not going to be a robot. He's just going to turn into a gun. It's hardcore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember that. that. Megatron would turn into like a Ruger or something in the old comics. Walter P-38. Was that what he was? Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I was going to basically say the same thing that if you've read comic books or watched some of the cartoons for a long time, you might notice and you might not have noticed initially that it's not totally unheard of, but it's uncommon Mm -hmm. to see like a normal gun, like an identifiable gun being used, but it's really common. And I, I remember this from a lot of the 
the old Batman comics that I was reading in the 90s to see the Joker with like, oh, that's obviously a 38 special. Yeah. Like a pretty good, like an old school police revolver. That's kind of what he uses. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's a little different because he's not like one of the, I mean, he's a goofy villain and that he's supposed to be a clown, <laughs> but he's not, yeah. he's not like Calendar Man or Condiment King or one of these other villains that has like some really <laughs> goofy gimmicky way of doing things he's yeah he's just he's just gonna shoot you or poison you or stab you or whatever else and that's part of what makes it scary because there's people out there that do that it's very real it's not you know you don't worry about thanos right like nobody's like well what if there is you know somebody who's consuming planets or you know what and i know that's not what he does but you get the idea you know, nobody worries about that because it, it, the likelihood is, you know, very small. But anybody could be crazy with a gun and poison. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, Joker. It shows how somebody can just be pushed so far by society that this happens. I mean, I genuinely think that that's why a lot of a lot of horrible things happen today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like thing, like terrible things that people do in schools and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and this is just maybe a social critique. Maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe I'm an old man. I don't know. My employees used to call <laughs> me a boomer and all this stuff, even though I'm definitely not. When I was a kid, if you got into a fight in school, it wasn't the end of the world. It was a big deal, but it's not like you were expelled immediately or whatever else. Yeah. So if somebody was really bullying you and I got bullied as a kid, fights and things like that are a useful social thing from like an evolutionary standpoint. Mm -hmm. They teach somebody that they cannot treat people that way or something's going to happen to them. And if you take away people's ability to do anything about these things that are happening to them. If somebody's beat down over and over every single day and there's nothing they can do. And if they're in a point where they're like, well, if I hit them or if I shoot them, either way, my life is over. I might as well shoot them. Yeah. That's a good point. You know what I mean? I mean, I really do feel like I'm not trying to say anything in particular, but I'm sure there are cases where if there was some other outlet for people's frustration, these yeah. you know mass shootings and these crimes would not happen it's just sometimes society or the systems that we use can back people into a corner so much that they snap and that's kind of like what the joker is personified somebody who snaps like perpetually <laughs> like it's not just one he doesn't build a kill dozer and go on a rampage and then end it like he's doing that forever yeah, and we'll get we'll get into that, but I do believe that at least every guy needs to be punched in the face once in their life because you know, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And you need to to feel that. You know, I think that's something it teaches you something about yourself, it teaches you something about other people. Now, I don't, you know, advocate for bullying at all, but if somebody's bullying someone and they get punched in the face, even if he doesn't like knock the guy out and show how tough he is, just the fact like, hey, you can do this and you may beat me up, but you are going to get punched in the face as many times as I can do it. That person's going to be like, mm, maybe this isn't the right person. Yeah. And, 
you know, it's a sad commentary, but I believe it's true. Yeah, and bullying serves a purpose. Like, there is a reason why we have evolved to do that. It's not good, especially in modern day, but, I mean, back in the past, if we're hunter-gatherers or we're in a small tribe mm-hmm. where we all have to work together to survive, if you have somebody that's really weird or doing something that's really outside the social norms of your group, bullying kind of serves to point that out and rein it in and discourage that behavior in others. Yeah. Because if you're the weird one and you're going off on your own and you don't want to hunt and you don't want to do this or that, you're not helping your tribe. I think that's probably where it came from. You know, it's like, oh, he doesn't want to hunt, you know, woolly mammoths or whatever with us. He wants to go paint (laughs) paint pictures or whatever. But it's like painting pictures isn't going to put food on the table for the tribe. We need to we need to do this or we need to be prepared to defend ourselves or whatever. Agreed. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not advocating for bullying because like i said i was bullied a lot as a kid but but man you know what what i hit the guy who bullied me one time real well (laughs) and he never tried it again (laughs) he kind of learned a lesson like oh yeah maybe i shouldn't make fun of the guy that's you know six foot tall in seventh grade (laughs) conflict resolution is like arguing fighting whatever And it's kind of natural for people to do. And when you take those away or you make the punishment for them so severe, you back people into a corner. Mm -hmm. That's kind of all I'm really getting at. I don't think that kids should fight. I don't think kids should bully each other. But I think if two kids want to fight to solve something, it's probably a lot better than backing them into a corner where they feel like they have to try to kill somebody or kill themselves or whatever. Right. Right. That's that's why they don't make the... uh like child abduction laws as strong as most people think they should because behavior analysis people think, oh, well, if he knows he's going to get life in prison for kidnapping a kid, it's going to be murder because that's going to be less likely to get him caught Mm. than letting that kid go. So there's tough decisions to make, man. There's always really tough decisions. All right, tell us about the Silver Age. The Joker remained a prominent Batman villain from the Golden Age into the Silver Age, defying the decline in popularity of mystery and romance comics. In 1951, Finger penned an origin story for the character in Detective Comics 168, revealing him as the criminal Red Hood who suffered disfigurement from a chemical vat fall. So you'll probably remember that at least as the inspiration for the Joker's origin in the 1989 Tim Burton movie. And that story's been retold actually quite a few times with slight variations. By 1954, the Comics Code Authority, which was a huge buzzkill, <laughs> responding to public concerns led by Frederick Wortham, curtailed comic book content. This was back when, the, you know, I mean, this was just such a pearl clutching organization that wanted to make sure everything was super clear, that everybody's happy all the time, everybody's okay all the time. You know, nothing bad really happens, which is, you know, that's fine if you're policing like a Blue's Clues episode, but, man, you got to leave some stuff alone. Anyway, this led to a tamer Batman and transformed the Joker into a goofy trickster, losing his original homicidal tendencies. After 1964, the character's appearances declined under editor Julius Schwartz. The revival came with the 1966 TV series Batman portrayed by Cesar Romero and his fantastic painted over mustache. 
Do you remember that? Uh, terrible. Terrible. Ooh, anyway, the show's success <laughs> influenced the comics, but contributed to a decline when the series waned in popularity. Post-1969, despite increased visibility, comic sales continued to decline. Editorial director Carmine Infantino, which is quite a name, aimed to revitalize Batman by moving away from child-friendly adventures. The Silver Age introduced defining traits like lethal joy buzzers, acid-squirting flowers, trick guns, and elaborate crimes for the Joker. Yeah, I think that the Batman universe is lucky that this 1960s Batman show didn't ruin everything because it was terrible. It, terrible. I enjoyed it. Actually, I thought it was really funny, Bam! but yeah, Bam! I, Batman wasn't a serious Bam! thing until, until the 89 movie, which I'm sure we're going to get into. And the 1993, uh, Batman animated series. Uh, the animated series is still fantastic. I had Kim and I were watching a couple episodes of that not too, too long ago. There's one uh, video that I have, and it's it's just kind of a, you know, there's all these random Batman things that are out there. But there's one where it's like four different, you know, Batman and in different, you know, like little 20 minute cartoons. And there's one where Batman can just sink into a shadow and pop out of another shadow. And it's, it's really a cool. Are they done like in an anime style or some of them are? Yeah. I've, yeah, a couple. I've seen that. I cannot think of what it's called, but it was supposed to, I think it was supposed to be like just random stories from different storytellers and artists between Batman begins and the dark Knight. Because I think it was supposed to tie into those two movies, if it's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, I should have watched it last night. Oh, well. Bronze <laughs> Age. In 1973, after a four-year disappearance, the Joker was revived and revised by writer Dennis O'Neill and artist Neil Adams. Beginning with Batman number 251, the Joker's five-way revenge, the character returns to his roots as a homicidal maniac who matches wits with Batman. The story began a trend in which the Joker was used sparingly as a central character. O'Neill said his idea was, quote, simply to take it back to where it started. I went to the DC library and read some of the early stories, and I tried to get a sense of what Kane and Finger were after, end quote. In the 70s, Denny O'Neill's run on Batman introduced the concept of the Joker being legally insane, justifying his incarceration in Arkham Asylum. Uh, great name for a dog would be Arkham, mm-hmm. like a big black pit bull or something. That is a good name. Artist Neil Adams altered the Joker's appearance, making him taller and leaner. In 75, the Joker became the first villain to headline his own comic series, The Joker, exploring his interactions with other supervillains. O'Neill wrote the first issue, presenting a balance between portraying the Joker as a criminal and a likable protagonist. Despite the character's murders, the series avoided Joker's direct confrontation with Batman. Due to Comics Code Authority restrictions, boo, each issue ended with Joker's capture, limiting storytelling scope. The series, canceled after nine issues, gained collector value. In 2013, DC Comics reissued it as a trade paperback under editor Jeanette Kahn in 1976, The Joker. 
rose in popularity. Writer Steve Englehart and artist Marshall Rogers's detective comics run define the character, notably in The Laughing Fish, where the Joker attempts to copyright disfigured fish. <laughs> Their work influenced the 1989 Batman film and 1992's Batman the Animated Series, with Rogers adding a fedora and trench coat to the Joker's design. Englehart outlined how he understood the character by saying that the Joker, quote, was this very crazy, scary character. I really wanted to get back to the idea of Batman fighting insane murderers at 3 a.m. under the full moon as the clouds scuttled by, end quote. We'll talk modern age after a quick break. I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement. Welcome back to Keepers. Ryan, tell us about the modern age. After the 1966 TV series, Batman comic sales declined, nearly leading to cancellation. The 1970s restored the Joker as Batman's insane, lethal archenemy. But it was the 1980s, the dark age of comics, that marked the character's prominence. Mature storytelling in the era of Crisis on Infinite Earths and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns reimagined Batman and the Joker. Late 1980s saw impactful story arcs, including A Death in the Family, where the Joker kills the second Robin, Jason Todd, as I alluded to earlier. Alan Moore's The Killing Joke delves into the Joker's origins, influencing future stories and films. This is also the story that we mentioned where Barbara Gordon is injured. Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum explores the psychoses of Batman and the Joker. The 1992 animated series introduced Harley Quinn as the Joker's sidekick and romantic interest. Man, I've, I've laid out all this stuff already, <laughs> not thinking about that we were going to be covering it later. Uh, in 2011's New 52, which is eh, in terms of whether it was successful or not, <laughs> Death of the Family by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo explores the Joker's relationship with Batman. The 2020 Joker War storyline by James Tinian IV, <laughs> which it, which means he comes from a long line of uncreative people. What do we call this boy? And it's yeah. called the same thing as the last one. <laughs> and Jorge Jimenez sees the Joker leaving Gotham, leading to a new ongoing Joker series in 2021. Boom. Wow. Origins. The Joker's character has evolved since his 1940 debut with various interpretations and revisions. The most common origin story involves him as a criminal red hood falling into a vat of chemicals, which we mentioned, leading to his iconic appearance and insanity. Over time, his motives and past have changed, which is what makes him so intriguing. In his early appearances, the Joker was a deadly criminal who committed crimes ranging from whimsical to brutal. The Silver Age transformed the Joker into a figure of fun, as seen in the Joker's Millions, where he obsessively maintains his illusion of wealth. The 1970s redefined him as a homicidal sociopath. The Killing Joke also expanded on the Joker's origin, depicting him as a failed comedian who adopts the Red Hood identity. However, the Joker claims his past is multiple choice. Yeah, this is, I'll just expand on this. As the comic book nerd in our duo here, that <laughs> the Joker's talking about that one of the great things about being crazy is that his his history is always multiple choice. So 
I don't know if you want to get into this later, but the Joker's origin as the Red Hood has been told a bunch of different ways. Sometimes it's that he was part of a gang, the Red Hood gang, Mm -hmm. and he was the leader, and he fell into this vat. Sometimes it was Batman's fault, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it's told that there's no particular leader who's always the leader. Somebody different wears the hood every time. So that they can never like catch the real leader because they don't have one. You know, it's kind of a trick. So the police are always after the leader of the gang, but the leader is always a different person. There have been other ones like his story in here in the killing joke that he walks Batman through is that he was a comedian, struggling comedian, like the like the Joker movie, the Joaquin Phoenix one, and just trying to support his family and he's basically given an opportunity to make money, but winds up being forced to wear the red hood and act as the gang's leader so that if they get caught, he's the one they go after. And that's how he gets thrown in the acid. The fall guy. But it's, yeah, it's, it's always different. You know, sometimes it's over gambling debts. They allude to that in, uh, what is it? The dark Knight. but it's also been in some of the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He talks about like, well, I'm, I'm crazy. So, who knows what my past really is. Maybe I don't even remember it right anymore. That's good. In the late 1980s, a death in the family saw the Joker killing the second Robin, Jason Todd, allowing fans to vote on his fate. So what does that mean? That meant at the end of that issue, Jason Todd had been captured by the Joker. And they allowed fans to basically mail in their vote. Like they had a mailer in there and they're like, mail in what you want to happen. Should he die or should he live? And they voted that he should die. Yeah. Which was a huge, huge surprise. Like it was just, yeah, bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre to think like that. the But I mean, I'm not super surprised because the fans probably want to be like, all right, we're going to push you into this corner. What are you going to do? We're going to tell you to kill off this Robin. You just turned Dick Grayson into his own character. He can't really come back to being Robin. So. What are you going to do? And I think it was a really good choice creatively because of the, the things that it allowed them to do with bringing in the third Robin, Tim Drake, and the things that they did with Jason Todd later on through their own creative methods that I'm not going to get into. But it's it's super interesting to let people do that. It's definitely better than letting them name like boats <laughs> or snow plows or things like that. The kind of for like crowdsourcing things that they do nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. The 2000s brought significant stories like Emperor Joker, where the Joker gains reality-altering powers, and Joker Last Laugh, where he goes on a final crime spree. The character has undergone various transformations from fun-loving trickster to homicidal sociopath, each era contributing to the rich and complex history of the Joker in the DC Universe. Where did he come from? They've given many origins to the Joker, how he came to be. That doesn't seem to matter, just how he is now. I never intended to give a reason for his appearance. We discussed that, and Bill Finger and I never wanted to change it at that time. I thought, and he agreed, that it takes away some of the essential mystery. And that is a quote from Jerry Robinson, probably the Joker's creator. There you go. And I, I totally agree with it. There's, uh, like I said, there are a ton of origin stories out there, but, and I think the killing joke handled it really well. The Joker saying like, even I don't 
you know, I'm so crazy even I don't remember it anymore. Like I've told so many versions. Or in in the Dark Knight, it's they do a fairly good job of portraying this. Mm-hmm. Where he's talking about the scars. Yeah. He tells the scar story like two or three times and each time it's different. Yeah. I love that. Anyway, although a number of backstories have been given, the definitive one has never been established for the Joker. There have been even whole arcs kind of around the origins or potential origins for the Joker. An unreliable narrator, the Joker is uncertain of who he was before and how he became the Joker. Yeah. And then the line from the book is sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. Great quote. <laughs> Absolutely. So a little deeper into one of the ones you mentioned earlier, detective comics, number one sixty eight. over a decade after the Joker's debut. This is the 1951 uh, issue. I believe presented a story where a laboratory worker becomes the red hood attempting a million dollar heist but falling into chemical waste during a confrontation with batman this tale later adapted in morris the killing joke portrays the man as a failed stand-up comedian driven to crime to support his pregnant wife his disfigurement and tragic past leading to insanity transforming him into the joker this origin has been referenced in various stories including batman the man who laughs and batman three jokers Additional stories such as pushback and payback provide different details, suggesting the Joker's wife was murdered, giving his first name as Jack, and revealing in Batman Three Jokers that his wife didn't die but fled to protect herself and their son. Batman's knowledge of the Joker's identity is kept secret to safeguard the criminal's family. Alternative versions, like Paul Dini Alex Ross's case study, depict the Joker as a sane gangster who adopts the Red Hood identity for thrill. Batman Confidential explores Jack's transformation into the Joker after a confrontation with Batman during a heist and subsequent torture by mobsters in a chemical plant. The Brave and the Bold, which is a children's cartoon, presents the Joker's former self as a violent sociopath. Snyder's Zero Year suggests the pre-disfigured Joker was a criminal mastermind leading a gang of Red Hoods. So you see, there's always these slight variations on the Red Hood thing, but that that bit has pretty well stuck. Yeah. It's just why he was there. Was he desperate? Was he coerced? Did he do it for grins? Ooh, that's a terrible pun, doing it for grins. The character has also claimed various origins, including being the child of an abusive father and the long-lived jester of an Egyptian pharaoh, (laughs) highlighting the Joker's unreliable memory and the multiple interpretations of his mysterious past. I like the idea of him being the long-lived jester of an Egyptian pharaoh, and that could go on. It doesn't have to be the long-lived. It could be, you know, reincarnations of this crazy Mm -hmm. jester. So, yeah, that one I don't recall reading, but I mean, I haven't Mm -hmm. read everything. So, well, there's just so much. How could you? There's so much. Yeah. I mean, I the reason I criticize the new 52, there are a couple things that I think they didn't do terribly well. The new 52 was supposed to be sort of a reset of the DC universe. Mm -hmm. And I really tried to follow it. And the Court of Owls was the first arc. For or the first like overarching story for Batman, mm-hmm. and then it just split off into these events that would span all these different books. 
You know, I remember when that story was more or less over. Suddenly in this next issue, they're mourning the death of this character and this other thing has happened. And I remember going back into the comic book shop <laughs> the next time and being like, hey, by the way, I was reading this issue. What what just happened? What, yeah. what did I miss? Like numerically, I didn't miss anything. He was like, oh, this happened in Batman Inc. And that happened in Nightwing. Yeah. And then you need to read this and that one. And I was like, so I need to I need to buy like $30 worth of comics. And he's like, you no, have figured 100. out what happened in between. <laughs> yeah. In between these. And he was like, yeah, he goes, I he's like, I pretty much give most of my paycheck back to this place. Mm hmm trying to keep up with this stuff and i was like eh. it's like i think i'm just gonna buy some graphic novels for now just some self-contained stories would probably be good all right let's talk characterization renowned as batman's greatest foe the joker goes by nicknames like the clown prince of crime the harlequin of hate the ace of knaves and the jester of genocide the character's portrayal <laughs> has evolved over time with two main forms a psychopathic genius with a sadistic sense of humor, and in the 40s through the 60s, an eccentric, harmless prankster. Does anybody like that Joker? I mean, is there anybody no. out there that's like, oh, I just really like the goofy cornball one? I think they've had attempts to make him so dark that it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <sighs> like, they, there have been some stories where the Joker does things so horrific or Batman does things that are so superhuman. It's almost ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I definitely prefer the more grounded detective stories yeah. for Batman than like, than the one I, I definitely prefer Batman solo stories where it's detective work too. Mm. Stories where he's with the justice league and things like that. Yeah. agree. I mean, other than, um, Oh man, what is it like? Hush. I think Hush was one where there's involvement from some Justice League characters and stuff like that. It's a little bit more than just like a street level story, but you know. Yeah, I think that's part of, maybe not just part of, but maybe a lot of their appeal, Batman and the Joker, that is, is that they don't really have superpowers. I mean, you could say Batman does because he does things that are kind of superhuman, but you know, it's just. Is it something, you know, like LeBron James could do or, you know, uh. Kobe Bryant? Like, yeah, well, probably, you know, Batman would have to be uh, a combination of like a, you know, six martial arts black belts, uh, you know, gymnastic training his whole life and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he has the equivalent of like 16 master's degrees and stuff like that. Mm hmm. But yeah. can't fly, he can't shoot lasers out of his eyes and stuff like that. And I think that's why I just don't like Superman. It's like, really? You get beat? How can you get beat? You must be dumb. Like, if I had those powers, <laughs> I could do anything. But anyway. And then some of his gadgets are just a little bit too much. Although that's less of a thing in the comics, I feel like, than in movies and TV shows that he just has a gadget for everything. Yeah. Because Batman being super rich, I don't feel like... So Batman and uh, Green Arrow were the first ones I was aware of. They were like wealthy heirs to some company fortune. Yeah. And I don't think that the point was supposed to be that they're so wealthy they can fund this, you know, these, these vehicles and all this stuff. I think it was literally just supposed to explain why they're not going to work. Yeah. 
I think it was part of like explaining, like making this character more believable. It's like, you know, cause somebody reading it would have been like, when did they go to work? How yeah. are they up all night doing this? Like what? It's like, Oh, they're super rich. They don't have to go. to work. Okay, cool. <laughs> the Joker's appearance typically includes a purple suit, padded shoulder jacket, string tie, gloves, striped pants, spats, and sometimes a wide brimmed hat. His iconic look is a fundamental aspect evident when the Batman animated series quickly redesigned him to his classic suit from a straight jacket. Obsessed with Batman, the Joker represents humor and color, contrasting Batman's darkness. He engages in heinous crimes, viewing them as theatrical performances for his amusement. Despite a body count exceeding 2,000, he is consistently deemed insane, avoiding the death penalty and being sent to Arkham Asylum. The Joker's acts often aim to push Batman to kill, desiring him to make Batman succumb to madness like him. While claiming indifference, the Joker secretly craves Batman's attention and validation, making their dynamic a complex interplay of dark and light forces. The Joker displays no instinct for self-preservation and is willing to die to prove his point that anyone could become like him after one bad day. The Joker is the personification of the irrational and represents everything Batman opposes. But it's his personality that kind of lights up the screen. Tell us about that. The Joker is characterized by apparent insanity, lacking empathy, a conscience, and conventional concern for right and wrong. In Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth, which is a real book and that is actually the title, he's described as capable of adapting to outside sensory information, allowing him to create new personalities daily based on his needs, shifting between a mischievous clown and a psychopathic killer, which I interpreted that as more of a way of sort of justifying his transitions over the years. But Mm -hmm. anyway... The Killing Joke delves into the roots of his insanity, attributing it to one bad day, as you said earlier. The loss of his wife, unborn child, and disfigurement by chemicals mirroring Batman's origin. The story explores the Joker's attempt to prove that anyone can become like him after one bad day, culminating in torturing Commissioner Gordon. While some interpretations depict the Joker as fully aware of his actions' impact, other portray his insanity as an act. Comic scholar Peter Coogan, I didn't know that was a job option, (laughs) suggests that the Joker tries to reshape reality by imposing his face on victims and fish, creating a twisted parody of himself. The fish thing, man, that was dumb. That is not like an ongoing thing. It's not an ongoing thing. I didn't even know that was in the comics. It was in the cartoon in the early 90s. I remember that. Yeah, that's what I remember, uh, too. And it's like they, they say, well, he didn't know that he couldn't copyright a <laughs> fish's face. And it's like, come on, man. This guy's a genius. Oh, man. All right. The Joker's, uh, the Joker's sexuality is portrayed variably from seductive tendencies towards Batman in The Dark Knight Returns to a paradoxical relationship with Harley Quinn. The Joker's love for Batman in Death of the Family is described as a non- as non-traditional and tied to the belief that he makes Batman better. Batman and the Joker represent opposites, with the Joker defining his existence through the conflict with Batman. Despite numerous opportunities, the Joker shows no interest in discovering Batman's secret identity, emphasizing their game's importance over typical criminal goals. The Joker is depicted as having no fear even when exposed to Scarecrow's fear toxin. 
Temporary instances of sanity have occurred, such as through telepathic manipulation by the Martian Manhunter or resurrection in the Lazarus Pit, though these moments are short-lived. So, the Joker is not straight up putting the moves on Batman. I think the part in The Dark Knight Returns... Well, I don't know. He he calls him darling and stuff like that. It's kind of how the Joker comes out of this comatose state. Mm-hmm. Basically, when Batman retires, the Joker just quits showing up. And he's just basically in a stupor for years. Yeah, it, it's not that he's trying to actually pursue a romantic relationship. It's more of a non-sexual, I need you, you need me type thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, there's a... I remember reading an issue and I don't remember which one it was where it's you're hearing Batman's inner monologue and he's talking about all these things that he finds disturbing about the Joker as he's confronting him. And he's talking about the way that you can see his pupils dilate a little bit when he looks at Batman and he goes, you know, it's not fear, it's love. And it's just this like creepy thing that the Joker like loves Batman and loves the conflict and, loves this game that they're playing and really doesn't have any intention of figuring out who Batman is. There's even, uh, God, I think it was one of the episodes of the animated series where Harley manages to capture Batman and is going to like unmask him or kill him or something. Yep. And he gets pissed. (laughs) Yeah. And he's pissed. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, what? No, this is not. He's like, I am so sorry about this. And just like wants to let Batman go. He's like, no, this is not the point. We're not going to kill him. (laughs) Isn't that the one too, where he throws Harley out the window? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're like on the fifth story or something. And, and yeah, throws her out the window. (sighs) Anyway. uh, So back to these moments of sanity. At these moments, the Joker is depicted as expressing remorse for his crimes. However, during a medically induced period of partial sanity in Batman cacophony, he tells Batman, I don't hate you because I'm crazy. I'm crazy because I hate you and confirms that he will only stop killing when Batman is dead. And yeah, he's trying to basically force Batman's hand and saying like, listen, you want to save all these people? All you have to do is die. And that's a hard choice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about skills and equipment. The Joker possesses no inherent superhuman abilities, but relies on his cunning intellect and a wide array of weaponized thematic props for his criminal activities. Some of his iconic props include razor tip playing cards. That's cool. Rolling marbles. Jack in the boxes with surprises and exploding cigars capable of causing significant damage. His flower lapel can spray acid, and he often wields a lethal joy buzzer capable of delivering a million volts of electricity. Although these items were initially introduced in 1952 as harmless joke items, you don't hear people saying "ban joy buzzers," do you? <laughs> One of the Joker's most notable weapons is his Joker Venom, a toxic substance in liquid or gaseous form that induces uncontrollable laughter in its victims. Higher doses can lead to paralysis, coma, or death, leaving the victims with a grotesque, pained grin. The formula for Joker Venom is a closely guarded secret known only to the Joker. 
who demonstrates a chemical genius capable of manufacturing the toxin from ordinary household chemicals. Another version of the venom can make victims resemble the Joker and be susceptible to his commands. Hmm, that's handy. It's just Roundup. <laughs> the Joker's immune to his own venom and most poisons due to his history of consuming his own chemical uh-huh. experiments. While the Joker's arsenal is inspired by Batman's weaponry, he often puts his own theatrical twist on them. His technical genius extends to various gadgets, such as creating his versions of the Batplane and Batmobile, the Joker Gyro, and the Joker Mobile, and even a Joker signal for criminals to summon him for heists. And that kind of stuff, I, I just, I, I hate the Joker Mobile and, and the Joker Gyro. It's ridiculous. And it's, to me, it goes back to the 60s comics. Yeah, but the Joker mobile, didn't that show up in the in the cartoon? Oh, I'm sure it did. I'm pretty sure I had a toy of it at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's millions of them out there. You know, anything to make money. The Joker's portrayed as skilled in melee combat and proficient with firearms, although his guns are often theatrical in nature. Despite his physical capabilities, his primary asset is his brilliant mind, allowing him to devise elaborate schemes, manipulate events, and outsmart his adversaries. And his mind is pretty much what carries everything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have these kind of silly iterations that are appropriate in comic books and stuff. But when we get into the movies, it's much more real life. But We'll talk about his relationships after a quick break. And here we go. <laughs> Welcome back, Quick Peepers. Tell us about his relationships. The Joker's unpredictable homicidal nature makes him one of the most feared supervillains in the DC universe. The trickster says in the 1995 miniseries Underworld Unleashed, when supervillains want to scare each other, they tell Joker stories. Love it. The Joker's presence in Gotham City is not only a threat to Batman, but also to other villains. Depending on the circumstances, he may either fight alongside or against his rivals for control of the city, seeking chaos and entertaining outcomes. The Joker interacts with various supervillains, whether on the streets or within Arkham Asylum. While he has collaborated with criminals like the Penguin, the Riddler, and Two-Face, these partnerships often end poorly due to the Joker's uncontrollable desire for chaos. One sympathizes. He also leads others, such as Killer Croc and the Scarecrow, using his influence to manipulate them. Despite his unpredictability and lack of superhuman powers, the Joker has an uncanny ability to attract henchmen. Even with his tendency to harm or kill subordinates on a whim, he maintains their loyalty through intimidation and the allure of seemingly infinite wealth. The Joker's greatest rival is often considered to be Lex Luthor, the smartest man in the world. While they initially had a friendly partnership in the 1950s, world's finest comics, later depictions highlighted their mutual hostility and clashing egos. In the 2007 limited series Salvation Run, the Joker's influence is showcased as hundreds of villains fall under his spell, fearing him more than Lex Luthor. Batman number 186 introduced the Joker's first sidekick, the one-shot character Gaggy Gagsworthy, who later became an enemy of his replacement Harley Quinn. Awful. Awful <laughs> yeah, choice. That's pretty terrible. 
First introduced in the early 90s animated series, Harley Quinn is the Joker's former Arkham psychiatrist who develops an obsessive infatuation with him. And there really is some stuff with this that that goes into his love for Batman more. I don't remember... God, I don't remember which it was. I think it might have been Batman Arkham Origins, the, the video game, where the Joker is telling Harley Quinn that he met someone. Mm. I don't know. So in the episode Mad Love, which I don't know if it's the first episode that she was in, but it's yeah, it's the origin story of Harley and her relationship with the Joker. And there's a whole sequence where the Joker is telling her as his psychiatrist that he met someone and they're so special and they're this and they're that. And she's just swooning because she thinks he's talking about her, but he's talking about Batman. Uh. Like that's really who he's telling her this story about. Uh, So despite their abusive nature of their relationship, she consistently returns to him convinced of his love for the Joker is occasionally depicted keeping spotted hyenas as pets, a trade introduced in the 1977 animated series, the new adventures of Batman, which was terrible because it had more of that control over it from some oversight board where everybody had to be okay. Nobody Mm -hmm. could really get hurt. It had to be toothless. Additionally, a 1976 issue of Batman Family introduced Duella Dent as the Joker's daughter, although her parentage claim was later proven false. While the Joker's primary obsession is Batman, he has ventured outside Gotham City to confront other superheroes. In one instance, he kidnaps Lois Lane to distract Superman with a nuclear weapon in To Laugh and Die in Metropolis, which is a great name. The Joker's encounters with other heroes, such as Wonder Woman, demonstrate his willingness to take on formidable opponents and challenge the entire superhero community. He has also joined supervillain groups like the Injustice Gang and the Injustice League to oppose superhero teams like the Justice League. (sighs) What about alternate versions? (laughs) Alternate universes in DC Comics allow for diverse interpretations of the Joker, offering variations in his origins, behavior, and morality compared to the mainstream setting. Some notable examples include The Dark Knight Returns. This story depicts the final confrontation between an elderly Batman and the Joker. Distant Futures. Some tales portray distant futures where the Joker takes on unconventional roles such as being a computer virus or a hero fighting against a tyrannical Batman. In certain universes, the Joker is an entirely different person. For instance, in Flashpoint, Batman's mother, Martha Wayne, becomes the Joker after being driven mad by her son's murder. In Superman Speeding Bullets, Lex Luthor becomes the Joker in a world where Superman takes on the role of Batman. In the timeline of Batman Beyond, which is set in the DC animated universe after the events of the film, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, the Joker remains deceased. But let's talk a little bit about Batman Beyond. Uh, what do you what what's your take on Batman Beyond? Because it's a it's almost like a complete departure from Batman. Their their mandate, my understanding is their mandate was to create a Batman and it's the most like WB studio executive thing I've ever heard to say that this Batman needs to be in high school. 
It's like when they made that god awful Dragon Ball movie and they're like, Goku needs to be in high school, right? Yeah, to attract the young kids. <laughs> to attract the younger audience because it's, you know, because Batman had only been around for like 75 years at this point or whatever. So uh, I, I actually really like Batman Beyond. I think Batman Beyond is great. I wish, I wish so. If I could have a wish from a genie, one of them would be that they would make a good Batman Beyond movie, live action movie with Michael Keaton as old Bruce. Mm. I think that would just kill. That would be so good. Um, but yeah, they managed to do it in a really creative way. You know, Bruce Wayne from the animated series and from the, you know, the like the Justice League show and all that, because it was all supposed to be the same Batman, the same Joker, the same characters entirely. Mm -hmm. It's still the same guy. It's still Kevin Conroy voicing him. And they did a really good job of introducing him and giving a reason as to why he's retired and why he's reluctant to do what he needs to do. And they just, they, they managed to do a pretty good job of creating unique and compelling villains for him mm -hmm. that continue to challenge him, giving like the technological advances that he's got. I just think they did a really good job. And I think that I was actually thinking about this while we were talking about it, that return of the Joker is probably one of the best depictions of the Joker. Okay. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I, I don't think I've seen that. Really? I, yeah. I've watched Batman beyond a lot, but I don't remember remember that but this was a long time ago for me batman beyond is all about the suit the bat suit is the amazing suit awesome yeah that it is such a better suit like i've thought that before like if there was ever going to be somebody crazy enough to try to be a real batman they would do way better to take that suit or to yeah. base it off that suit because it looks so much more practical i mean they've even had um that batman beyond suit there's like a version of it that you can unlock in arkham city Mm-hmm. It's like much more practical and armored and all this stuff, but it's definitely the Batman Beyond suit. Yeah, and he's got, you know, like he can press his finger up against a wall and it's like a listening device. And he's yeah. got you know, like electromagnetic aspects of his suit that allow him to like, you know, stick to metal walls and um, you know, a little bit of a turbo boost and can glide and can turn invisible and you know, all the different things that he can see and hear because of the yeah. highly advanced, you know, helmet and stuff like that, or just, I think that's what car carries it. But yeah, it's really cool. It's, and that, and I think that they did a really good job of giving Terry his own character, mm -hmm. making him unique and distinct. He's not just Batman 2.0, he's different. And that's actually, that plays into Return of the Joker. There's an edited version out there that I think people have been running across where one scene goes differently and it makes the tone a lot less dark. I want the dark I'm not one. Spoil anything for anybody? Yeah, you want the dark one. But it's it's very good and it's it really does a lot to highlight the kind of villain the Joker was. Sounds good. We'll get back to you on that one. In the Justice League Beyond arc titled Flash Drive, there's a flashback that shows the aftermath of the Joker's death at the hands of Tim Drake in Return of the Joker. In this flashback, Batman and James Gordon are depicted burying the Joker's corpse beneath Arkham Asylum. The death of the Joker 
is portrayed as a significant event, acting as the catalyst for Barbara Gordon's retirement as Batgirl and contributing to Tim Drake's eventual retirement as Robin. Do you want to tell us about possible futures? Sure. So first, Batman Digital Justice. In the 1990 graphic novel, Batman Digital Justice, created by Pepe Moreno, the storyline unfolds in a futuristic technology-dependent Gotham City in the late 21st century. In this narrative, an artificial intelligence known as the Joker virus takes control of the city and asserts itself as the reincarnation of the original Joker, its creator. The Batman of this version, who appears to be the grandson of Commissioner James W. Gordon, intervenes to stop the virus. With assistance from another artificial intelligence, the Batcomputer, which operates based on the programming left by long-dead Bruce Wayne, Batman works to thwart the Joker virus and restore order to Gotham City. In The Dark Knight Returns, the alternative future storyline depicts the Joker as catatonic during Batman's retirement, which I alluded to before. However, he regains consciousness upon learning about Batman's return and orchestrates a killing spree to draw Batman out. Batman confronts the Joker in a carnival's tunnel of love where he fractures the Joker's neck in a fit of rage. Unable to kill him, Batman witnesses the Joker committing suicide by twisting his own fractured neck, framing Batman as a murderer. Yep. I think Batman does kill him in the comic, but they made a movie version where the Joker kills himself. But I could be wrong. It seems like having a suicide in a comic book might be a bit much. It's fine for movies, I guess, but that seems like a lot for a a comic. Maybe it is. Maybe it is part of the comic. Anyway, in the sequel, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, <laughs> a character resembling the Joker with supernatural powers and a healing factor is revealed to be Dick Grayson. Grayson, fired and abandoned by Batman, targets Batman's partner, Carrie Kelly, out of jealousy and disguises himself as the Joker to emotionally taunt Batman. Dick is ultimately killed in a confrontation with Batman. In All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, the prequel to The Dark Knight Returns, the Joker is responsible for the death of Dick Grayson's parents, having hired Jocko Boy Vanzetti to murder them during a circus act, which is such a great, like noir detective story mobster name <laughs> jocko boy <laughs> which is what it's supposed to be yeah. jocko boy vanzetti yeah in the dark knight returns the last crusade joker is revealed to be responsible for the death of jason todd ordering his men to beat the new robin to death in retaliation for his defeat by the dynamic duo in the dark knight returns the golden child another joker appears alongside dark side campaigning to be the president of the united states the identity of this Joker is not explicitly revealed, but there are suggestions that he may be the original Joker from The Dark Knight Returns. The artist, Raphael Grandpa, 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 Grandpa. So good. Grandpa. Grandpa. The artist, Raphael Grandpa, I don't know how else to say that, <laughs> noted in character notes that the Joker in The Golden Child was designed to appear as if he had undergone plastic surgery since his last appearance in The Dark Knight Saga. Frank Miller chose not to explain how or why the Joker was alive again after his death, leaving it open to interpretation. <sighs> but we will talk cultural impact and the legacy of the Joker after a quick break.
Welcome back, Cryptopers. The Joker's character has been interpreted as an archetypal trickster since the Bronze Age of comics, embodying qualities such as cunning, intelligence, social engineering, pranks, theatricality, and idiomatic humor. Like the trickster archetype, the Joker alternates between malicious violence and clever, harmless whimsy. However, unlike the traditional trickster, the Joker's actions typically only benefit himself, making him amoral and driven by a shameless and insatiable nature. In Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth, the Joker serves as Batman's trickster guide through the hero's own psyche, testing him in various ways. Rather than a purely anarchist interpretation, some have analyzed the character as a Marxist opposing Batman's capitalist stance. The Joker rejects most authority, but retains his own, using his actions to coerce and consolidate power in himself while converting others to his way of thinking. In The Killing Joke, the Joker is portrayed as an abused member of the underclass who becomes insane due to failings of the social system. He rejects material needs and targets Gotham's wealthiest men in his crime. Some interpretations view the Joker as a Nietzschean Superman, exemplifying Friedrich Nietzsche's concept of the will to power. The character's indomitable will to power means he's not discouraged by defeat and is not restrained by guilt or remorse. The Joker's controlling and abusive relationship with Harley Quinn is seen as a means of reinforcing his belief in his power. Their relationship is complex, with the Joker subjecting Harley to control while also expressing romantic feelings towards her. The dynamics of their relationship vary across different storylines and interpretations, showcasing the multifaceted nature of their interactions. What about online? Oh, the Joker's character has become a prominent figure in internet memes, particularly focusing on his portrayal in films. And also, oddly enough, kind of a romantic thing for a little while. There were people talking about like Joker and Harley being sort of like relationship goals. <laughs> no, wrong, wow. incorrect. Reassess. Look, look within. All right. These memes often highlight the character's darker, edgier aspects and have been associated with the archetype of the edgelord. The term edgelord refers to individuals who deliberately adopt provocative or controversial stances or behaviors to elicit reactions, especially from those with progressive viewpoints. One popular phrase associated with Joker memes is, we live in a society. <laughs> This phrase gained significant attention, especially following the release of the trailers for the 2019 film Joker. Although when I think of we live in a society, I think of Seinfeld and George. We live in a society. We're supposed to behave in a civilized way. Ugh, the line became even more notorious after being featured in a trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League where the Joker delivers the line. Additionally, the Joker is frequently incorporated into the gangweed meme, which satirically addresses various subcultures, such as incels, neckbeards, and nice guys, as well as cannabis and gaming culture. These memes play on stereotypes of exaggerations for humorous or critical effect. The internet's use of the Joker in memes reflects the character's ability to capture the cultural zeitgeist and adapt to contemporary discussions, even in the realm of online humor and social commentary. I think in terms of humor, the closest thing we have in real life is probably Bill Burr. Because one of his jokes talked about that like the most fun thing he ever did on Twitter 
was he posted, Donald Trump is so stupid, he almost made me vote for a woman. <laughs> and then he just sat back and watched all the hate come in from both sides. It's yeah. like a perfect post to just get everybody up in arms. Yeah. And it's, I, I will admit, I do stuff like that sometimes. I will just, I'll just, I'll just argue a point that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm just to oppose somebody just for fun for a little while until they realize like, I don't care. I have no, just to be oppositionally defiant. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be just, just for grins, but I don't know. It's not, it's not necessarily to cause chaos or anything. No, you just want to see the world burn. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm not interested in things like being right. Right. I just want to watch the world burn. All right. You want to get another media? Mark Hamill has been a prolific voice actor for the Joker in animation and video games since 92, contributing to various Batman related projects. Mark Hamill's laugh is amazing. It, he does yes. such a great job. I, I like his role as the voice of the Joker more than I like Luke Skywalker. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's a scene. The Joker sings only you. And the whole thing is the Joker is infected with this illness from a scheme from a previous game. And he infects Batman with it too. Mm-hmm. And Batman has to find these, find a way to cure it so he can cure both of them. Mm-hmm. And the Joker will call you throughout this. Like he gives you a cell phone and he's FaceTiming you. And Batman crushes the phone and puts like the SIM card in his gauntlet. And now he can come over, you know, you'll just hear his voice come over during the game. He'll call. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the game, during the credits, there are different voicemails that come up. And one of them is Mark Hamill singing only you as the Joker. Mm-hmm. And he's like constantly doing the Joker laugh and stuff during it. Like it's unbelievable. When you think about the fact that it's Mark Hamill having to pretend to be the Joker, like it just seems so real. Otherworldly. Yeah, it's like you would almost have to be a real Joker to be able to, to sing it this way. It's so bizarre, but it's it's super strange. But he's really, really talented as a voice actor. Yeah. He also made a live action appearance in an episode of The Flash hmm. when they're on Earth 2. They go to Earth 2 and... Or is it Earth 2? Oh, whatever. It's another Earth. It doesn't matter. There's like some shenanigans on which Earth is which because they argue over the numbering. But they go to the Earth where Jay Garrick is the Flash. And there's like a clown villain on that world. That's Mm -hmm. more like the funny, harmless Joker. And it's played by Mark Hamill. Nice. Which is kind of fun. Yeah, you know, to have him play a different sort of iteration of his own character on a live action TV show. Yeah, he doesn't get much credit in the non comic, non cartoon world, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he he's an amazing voice actor. Yeah, a lot of people are like, "Whatever happened to Mark Hamill?" It's like, oh, he's been working pretty solidly for the last what thirty one years, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Heath Ledger received posthumous acclaim for his portrayal of the character in 2008's The Dark Knight, winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and we'll talk about these in a minute. Joaquin Phoenix also earned an Academy Award for his interpretation of the Joker in 2019's Joker. The Joker has been featured in numerous forms of media, including television, animated, and live-action films. 
Jack Nicholson played a version of the Joker named Jack Napier in Tim Burton's 1989 film, Batman. Mm -hmm. Which, unfortunately, they did kind of continue into the animated series. Yeah. There are a few episodes where they refer to him as Jack, or they say, like, oh, his real name is Jack Napier. So that that had a little bit of an unfortunate effect for a while well, Ryan, on other we, Batman media. We have a bombshell to drop at the end of the show, Ryan. Bombshell. All right. Mark Hamill's voice acting for the Joker in the 1992 television series Batman the Animated Series is considered iconic, and he continued to voice the character in various spinoffs, films, and video games. Let's talk about Heath Ledger's Joker. Likes, dislikes, what do you think? Heath Ledger? Yep. Heath Ledger was phenomenal as the Joker, I think. I mean, that's an unbelievable performance. Yeah. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. He, he's his own version. He's so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he depicted like the chaotic nature and the fearlessness really, really well. And and I think his Joker is maybe someone who had a lot of military experience, like a ranger or a seal or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it shows the combat part. Yeah. That he's got combat experience, he understands weapons, he understands explosives, he understands all of this sort of technical aspect of it that an average person wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You see, I'm a guy of simple taste. I enjoy uh, dynamite and gunpowder and gasoline. What's And you know the thing that they have in common? They're cheap. It's not about money. It's about sending a message. Everything burns. Because it's all part of the plan. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that, that that could be part of his origin. But it's definitely a, a, some aspects of him that we hadn't seen in movies before. Because... You know, Jack Nicholson is a criminal mastermind as the Joker, but he's not, you know, a, a terribly skilled Yeah, he's the clown prince. Like that. And Heath Ledger was very dark. I mean, his performance was so good that I almost feel like yeah. that Joker is real. Like he's out there somewhere and he just like channeled him or something because yeah. it's it gives you the darkness, right? You you want that with the Joker. It gives you the craziness. And then it also mm. gives you non-superhuman, but greater than most human, you know, ability to withstand pain and ability in hand-to-hand -hand combat and just the quick problem solving of hey we're hiring but we can only take one of you break a pool stick you guys work it out you know just what i think of when i think of the joker is there anybody out there that hasn't seen that yet i hope not i remember seeing that at a midnight showing and going to denny's mm -hmm. afterwards with a bunch of my friends who came and seeing a ton of other people there that i knew like 
I mean, the place was packed at like 3 a.m. Because mm-hmm. we had all just come from that movie and everybody was talking about it. And I remember a couple of people, including me, like getting in on these conversations. It's like, they might as well just stop now. Yeah. They're never going to top this interpretation. They should just retire this character. <laughs> like, don't do not do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you haven't seen it, it needs to be watched as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, you need to go out and buy yourself a DVD so you don't lose it on a hard drive or something like that, because it's that good. That movie was PG 13. Imagine if they made it rated R, what kind of stuff they would have had. But yeah, that's, that's my favorite Joker. Let's move on. So Jared Leto portrayed the Joker in the DC extended universe, starting with suicide squad in 2016. Now, I think Jared Leto is a great actor. I think he's really weird. And I think he's overrated by a lot of people as being like, you know, one of the best ever. It's pretty good. I don't think that this role allowed much from him. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, oh, you're kind of a side plot, kind of a, you know, we're going to show you in maybe five to 10 scenes or something. And I would have liked to have seen a Jared Leto Joker movie, but I'm much more pleased with what will eventually happen. But what did you think about his character? I, I think it's a really stupid design. <laughs> I, I think Jared Leto tried to do the best he could mm-hmm. with what he had. I think he tried to make a realistic ish modern gangster interpretation. Mm-hmm. You know, the tattoos and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think I had a single employee at my bar that didn't have a tattoo. Yeah. And a lot of them were really stupid. So, like, having all this stuff that he had. Mm -hmm. uh, The worst one was the hand tattoo. The laughing hand tattoo thing that he puts up over his face. Like, that was really terrible. But, I don't know, man. It's. I think it would have been really interesting. I think that the way he behaved, the way he acted baiting that other gangster into like trying to take Harley or whatever Mm -hmm. to sort of, he was testing him and that dude definitely knew that he was testing him. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's very appropriate for the character. And I I would have liked to see more of them because I agree with you. Like they, they did not give him a ton to work with. And I think there was a lot about, Oh, Jared Leto's so crazy. Mm -hmm. He's doing all this weird stuff. He's getting into character. He's trying to, you know, be a knockoff of Heath Ledger who, use this acting method where that drove him nuts. Yeah. There's some kind of, uh, I guess, dark side stories. As you mentioned, he's a method actor. So what that means is, you know, in preparation and during the filming, you are that character 24 seven. You don't, you know, when the camera goes off, you're not Heath Ledger, Jared again, you're still the Joker the whole time. And yeah, it's like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is supposed to do the same thing, I think. Apparently, Jared Leto did, uh, I can't remember if it, I think it was to Will Smith, mailed him a used condom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. You know, method acting's great. You send something like that to me, it's going to be a fight. It's I Will Smith should have busted out the slap back then. <laughs> so, yeah, if if you're ever on a cryptique movie, please 
refrain from the disgustingness. You want to uh, tell us about the next movie? Sure. Joaquin Phoenix's take on the character in the standalone film Joker in 2019 was both controversial and praised, earning him an Academy Award for Best Actor. The things that there are two points about that movie that I found really uh, impressive about his interpretation, which was some of the stuff that he was doing was just like he just did it. Mm-hmm. He just felt like this is what he would do at this point or mm-hmm. just kind of went with whatever impulse he had, like the whole scene where he he's like laughing, and like dragging stuff out of the refrigerator and like pulling all the racks and stuff out mm-hmm. and the camera's just staying on him and then kind of moving a little bit to the side. He apparently just did that. That wasn't scripted. Yeah, he just did all that and just jumped in this fridge and closed the door. And then the camera was just watching him like what? what just happened. But apparently behind the scenes, they were like, no, 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 just stop. Just, just let him do his thing. And they talked about that. He was uh, like 180 pounds, Mm -hmm. fairly healthy weight for a guy, his size. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, not overweight at all, but apparently the director commented like, Oh, maybe, or somebody, whatever, just commented. Like, I think maybe this interpretation, maybe should be like kind of scrawny or more lean or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, I can do that. And they offered to get him a, like a nutritionalist or something like that, mm-hmm. whatever the, whatever the term is. And he was like, no, nah, I got it. So he apparently just like smoked cigarettes and ate only apples for like six months That'll do <laughs> and just it. lost all this weight and came in at like 120 pounds. I had no idea that he was that small smoking. Well, no, I mean that like tobacco has this effect on you because I think, uh, I think Christian Bale did it when he was in the machinist. Because he, I don't know if you remember him in that movie. Oh, he was God, scary. He looked like a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, yeah, like he was close. But I think to he death. did the same thing. Yeah, he. I think his thing was like he smoked and he ate uh, a can of tuna and an apple every day, yeah. and that was it. I'd rather just have an apple. <laughs> Apparently, tobacco. Yeah, so would I. Apparently, tobacco uh, speeds up your base metabolism, makes your body less efficient in extracting energy from your food. Hmm. and dulls your sense of hunger. So that's why a lot of these actors use it. Well, you know, they they said that it was controversial because of how they portrayed people with mental illness. Now, mm. when when you say mental illness, that is such a broad spectrum. You know, it's not like yeah. he was like, oh, I have a touch of ADHD, so I kill people all the time. Or, you know, I... I don't know, pick a, pick a, what's considered kind of a minor mental illness, something besides like schizophrenia or horrible bipolar disorder. Um, That's not what the movie was about. The movie was about this guy is seriously messed up, like really, really bad schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, psychosis, all these things. And he was left behind by the system. It's not a commentary on people with mental illness. It's a commentary on people being left behind. Yeah, and, for sure. And he he was masterful in that too. And it was a totally different Joker. It was a insecure, scared victim. And you know, obviously, we know how things turned out. But he he was a victim through most of the movie. And I just, I think that people, you know, 
probably didn't see the movie and somebody was like, oh, well, he was mentally ill and he killed a lot of people. And they're like, oh, well, that's not cool. We can't have that get out there because God forbid the pharmaceutical companies can't keep selling their shit. So it's, I I think it's really uh, a narrow view to try and say that that movie depicted people with mental illness as murderers because we know that some people with schizophrenia turn into murderers. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a cheap shot at the movie. I agree. Yeah, I think that's totally missing the point of it. I think people just have this knee-jerk reaction to so many things. It If you just want to see how crazy society can be, say anything on Twitter. <laughs> and people will just jump all over you for anything. In the DC Extended Universe, Jared Leto portrayed the character and Zach Galifianakis voiced him in the Lego Batman movie. Love that movie. Yeah, that was actually really good. In video games, Mark Hamill voiced the Joker in the critically acclaimed Batman Arkham series, and other actors like Troy Baker and Richard Epcar have also lent their voices to the character in different games. These portrayals highlight the character's enduring popularity and adaptability across different media formats. He's almost like an American comic yokai. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he can come as a totally different people. And I think that would go a sure. long way as to like, yeah, they're being possessed by the spirit, but they maintain some of their, you know, worldly hum- human characteristics as well. Yeah. I was just going to comment that one of the biggest impacts of the Lego Batman movie mm-hmm. was it died in your, what is what is the song? Died in your arms tonight. Yeah or Died in Your Arms by the Cutting Crew, whatever the title of it is, was stuck in my head for so long after that. Yeah. Because <laughs> when he sees, I think it's Barbara Gordon, <laughs> it starts playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so good. Uh, I love... It's such a good movie. <laughs> I love... I, I think it's just the Lego movie that Batman's in, but he's yeah. a master builder, and they're trying to, like, hand him bricks to, you know, build the Bat plane. And he's like, I only work in black. And sometimes... Very, very dark gray. And just little jokes like that just do it for me. And when he's uh, one of my favorite scenes ever in any movie is when Batman in the uh, Lego movie is microwaving a lobster. And all it is, he just he's like in his uh, tidy whities and his uh, Batman cowl. And he's Mm -hmm. cooking the lobster and he's just waiting for it to cook. And he's just like clicking his lips. He's like, (laughs) just totally (laughs) waiting for it to cook. And it's just so good because it's like, oh, well, Batman has to microwave his food too. It's, it's just a great, (laughs) a great scene. Yeah. Alfred, the, the butler is trying to talk to him and uh, he's like, do you know what you're most afraid of? And he's like, snakes. He's like, no, your greatest fear. Clowns? No. Snake clowns? <gasps> it's snake clowns. And it's your fault. You put that thought in my head. And he starts bouncing around on his back, like throwing a tantrum. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's it's great comic relief. And it's so much funnier yeah. than when they try and make the Joker funny. You know, like he's yeah. supposed to tell yeah. bad jokes that are not funny to people because they're so dark. Mm-hmm. All right, Ryan, we've got an update. 
You want to tell them about the update? As reported by ComicBook.com, the latest edition of the DC comic Flashpoint Beyond number 5 discloses the Joker's real name as Jack Oswald White. This revelation, found in the limited series created by Jeff Johns, Jeremy Adams, and Tim Sheridan, featuring artwork by Eduardo Russo, Sir Monaco, and Michael Jannon, marks the first time the character's name has been officially revealed since its creation in 1940. I don't know why they chose uh, to mix the son of Ozzy and one of the singers from the White Stripes to create this name, but for some reason they did, because it's all I can think of. Right. Like Jack White. Jack White's the Joker. Right. Uh, in the fifth issue, titled The Clockwork Killer, Chapter 5, Psycho Pirate is compelled to divulge the Joker's true identity, challenging the long-standing mystery surrounding the character's name. This revelation diverges from the tradition upheld by DC, where the Joker's name had been deliberately kept secret, particularly in comic book renditions. Terrible name. Uh, Terrible idea. mm -hmm. And it's a shame. But now we know, or we think we know. This could just be something they made up, too. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things that they're definitely going to uh, retcon. All right. So I couldn't think of the word for a second, retcon. So what we want you to do is come up with your own Joker origin story. It can just be a couple paragraphs. Send it in. And Ryan and I have a couple of our own origin stories for the Joker. And we'll do a little uh, bonus content podcast where we, you know, post those and you guys can get a chance to listen to our ideas and some of your co-listeners ideas. But we'll have final thoughts after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Do you have any final thoughts? I feel like we covered a lot, but... Yeah, I, I... My final thought would be kind of reiterating something you said earlier, which is that the Joker is a scary idea because there are versions of him that feel like they could really exist. You know, Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix version, feels like that could really happen. For sure. Especially in the climate we're in right now, mm-hmm. economically, politically. Yeah. It feels like we're so divided and wealth inequality is, I think, worse than it was in the Gilded Age. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a mathematical standpoint, I feel like it's it's really primed. The world is primed yeah. for something like that to happen. And then you know, all it takes, it's the Joker's superpower, in my opinion, is being unafraid and unencumbered by self-preservation or morality. Yep. And I think the story and what he's kind of trying to prove is literally anybody can be him. It doesn't matter who he is because he's whoever has been screwed over and left behind by society to the point that they snap like that. Yeah, I guess that about wraps it up. I mean, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that the Joker is the greatest comic book villain of all time without a doubt for sure uh do you have anyone else that's up at the top of your list not really i'm really trying to think i mean the riddler's pretty good Mm -hmm. 
I mean, when the Riddler is done well, the Riddler has, you know, there are some compelling stories. Or if you get to a much bigger scale, you can talk about Thanos on the Marvel side, whose goal was not to save anybody. He's literally in love with death. Mm-hmm. And death is like a real thing. Death is a, a spirit or an entity. And he is trying to court death by killing so many living beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole, that's his whole jam. He's not, it's not this sympathetic thing that they did in the movies. And then dark side is whatever, just wants to take over everything. I don't find those to be compelling. Yeah. They're not compelling stories. I mean, it's on the surface, kind of a horrifying idea that Thanos is trying to kill enough to literally attract the spirit behind death. Mm -hmm. Cause he thinks she's like super hot. Wants to get some of that. Well, (laughs) they're unrelatable, right? Like I said, you're not going to run into Thanos at Walmart. You know, he's not going to be like, you have the last ring. It's, but you could run into the Joker. Totally, totally, yeah. That's what makes him be- a better villain. Yeah. Because you could see something like that happening. You know what we forgot? Hmm. Gotham. You watched Gotham, Oh, the TV right? series? Yeah. So in Gotham, the Joker is kind of flirted with, uh, with Cameron Monaghan's character where he plays Jerome Valeska. God, he's he's so good. Yeah. Oh my god. And Jeremiah and then Valeska. Jeremiah, yeah. 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 Oh, you don't know how happy that made me. For those of you that don't know, my <laughs> real name is Jeremiah. I just go by Jay on the podcast. But that was just heartwarming for me when I saw that. I'm like, it's it's fate. We're one. <laughs> yeah. No, they did. That camera, camera Monahan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he is. Oh my god, he was so good. Yeah, because I had a, I had a couple friends who were watching that too, and I remember getting a text from one of them, and she was just like, "Holy shit, this kid can act." Yeah, like who is this guy? <laughs> one of my favorite lines from Gotham is where he's, you know, telling his story about how his mom worked at a a carnival and his, you know, when he's just going off and he's like, you can be a drunk or you can be a whore, but you can't be a drunken whore. And he killed his mom. And that's so powerful. They tried to do kind of the face off thing too, where like his face got cut off and I didn't really like, I'm like, just make him the fucking Joker, dude. Don't, you know, Mm -hmm. put all these breadcrumbs down and then be like, Oh no, he's just got a s- twin brother with a secret crypt in a cemetery somewhere <laughs> or whatever. It's it's been a long time since I watched it, but I thought his his character was amazing and and I really like the penguin in Gotham too. Robin Lord Taylor. Lord Taylor. Yeah, I knew it was like some royalty thing in the middle of his name. Yeah. Lord Taylor. Yeah, he was really good. The arc where the Riddler is becoming the Riddler. Mm-hmm. was so good yeah like i still think about that sometimes just how good that transition was and even just like the effects and the visuals that they used to depict it that was super good anyway i think it was another studio thing i think it was i think there was some rule or something that was imposed by dc or warner brothers or something mm. 
that they were not allowed to have the Joker. Of course. But yeah, they definitely should have just made Jerome the Joker. Oh, well. Because he's so much better. He's so much better than whatever they're going to come up with. Exactly. It's like, oh my god. Anyway. Despite knowing his origin story. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's all we've got for you. We hope you enjoyed the show. Ryan, you want to tell them what they need to know? Yeah. Share the show with somebody who you think will like it. Uh, It's really, really helpful for us, and we will love you forever. (laughs) And if you want to send us your Joker origin story or, I don't know, anything else, your theory on how they're going to retcon this recent revelation of who the Joker really is, you can send all that to crypticpodcast at gmail.com. You can buy some merch if you want, if you want to represent over at crypticpodcaststore.com and check out all of our socials. They'll be in the show notes and help us keep the servers on through buy us a coffee. Faux show. Or buy me a coffee, whatever it's called. Get us God, something to drink. It feels so grammatically wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to take us out? And here we go. And remember, Crypt Keepers, madness is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. It's all part of the plan. Everything burns. I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement.